It's always fun to have the kids up here. Uh, you never quite know what's going to happen, uh, whether it is the baby at the beginning or the kids uh, engaging in the story and responding to things about their parents that you're like, oh, I didn't really want you to. <laughs> but it's fun to engage with them in this time because this really is, as much as we tend to divide up by age and and, and separate out, it really is about the family of all ages coming together, and it's so important for us to have these intergenerational moments where we can be doing something together uh, with the kids. Uh, last week, we talked about our Christmas playlists and the favorite music that we have. Uh, there's so many great Christmas songs, and these songs become the soundtrack to, to what our Christmas traditions are and our memories uh, we, we love being able to celebrate through song. Um, it, it can create chills. It can create tears to fall. It can, it can move us in so many ways. Uh, but we also talked about some songs that make us cringe, uh, some songs that are less popular, things that, that would respond to the statement of, all I want for Christmas is to not hear fill in the blank. And so maybe that stirred up some conversations with you as you began to think about what really are the worst Christmas songs out there. I want to add uh, three more to the list. Um, the first one is Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer. I mean, talk about a disrespect for the elders. Come on. And Grandma's got a little bit of a drinking problem as well. And so Grandma got run over by reindeer. Not good. And the song is way too catchy. You, you kind of feel guilty for being into that song, right? Um, I saw Mama kissing Santa Claus. I hope Santa is investing in some therapy for this kid further down the road as they deal with the situation of seeing Mommy kissing Santa Claus. Uh, third, all I want for Christmas is my two front teeth. Um, this kid needs to take a, a, a biology class or meet with a dentist or something like that because uh, Santa does not install teeth, so um, not really working out there. So three more to add to the list. Uh, I'm sure I've offended again uh, if I listed one of your favorite songs. So last week we began our Advent series looking at the songs of Christmas, but different kinds of songs. These are songs that we see in Scripture in Luke chapter 1 and in chapter 2. As we look at these celebrations of who God is, these prophetic moments of, of what God has come to do. And last week we talked about this song of Mary, one that we sing, my soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servants. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Mary finds herself in this incredibly anxious situation, but she accepts what God has called her to do, and she sings this incredible song of adoration. And so today we get to another song, but we've got to do the, the behind the song first, the backstory of what gets us to the song. So let's be opening up to Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 5, the very beginning of this story. The first, few, the first few verses of Luke are background or introduction, and the narrative really starts here in verse 5. We don't start with the story of Jesus. Instead, we start with the story of John. So Luke chapter 1, verse 5, In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah. He has a wife, Elizabeth. 
They're both descendants of Aaron, which means they're a part of the priestly family. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time of the burning of the incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Okay, so this is the very first scene of Luke. And he starts off giving a historical context of what's going on here. He says, in, in the time of Herod. Now, if you are hearing these words in the time of Herod, it's something that would make you cringe. Because to say that it is in the time of Herod is saying that it is in a time of oppression, it is in a time of violence, it is in a time where where Rome is ruling over the people with a very heavy fist. And Herod is their delegate who is there, a very bloody king. A king who rules as a tyrant. And the people are under this foreign rule. And so to say, in the time of Herod, brings to mind the people who have been in this oppressive environment for so long. These are not free people. But it's also a time where the, in, in Jewish history where God has been silenced. For the last 400 years, there has not been a prophet. There has not been a word from God. And so as they think about this time that they are present in, they see that this is a rough season. This is a time where they are being oppressed. And so would God answer their prayers for a Messiah? Would God answer their prayers for freedom? From oppression. So Luke establishes this context, and then he gives us the main characters. We've got Zechariah. We've got Elizabeth. This elderly couple that come from this priestly family who are, are in this, this work of God. But they're not in Jerusalem at the temple. They are out in the country. They are poor Yes, they're part of the priestly line, but they are not a part of the the powerful religious establishment in Jerusalem. And here they are, this elderly couple who have not been able to have kids. And this this is something that is embarrassing. It's something that brings shame. It's something that brings great disappointments. Because here they are with no kids in the latter years of their life. But they are righteous, they are blameless, they are pious people, continuing to serve God. And so would God answer their prayers for a child? Zechariah has this appointment at the temple. He is, is chosen to go into the temple, which is an honor that is only given once in a lifetime and they, he, he goes into the temple, and he's at the altar of incense, and everything changes. Picking up in verse 11, Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. 
What prayer? Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you will call him John. Now, this is the last thing Zachariah is expecting when he shows up to work that day. Right? So he's going into the temple, and for 400 years, God has not shown up. And he shows up at the altar of incense, and now an angel appears. What's going on here? And he responds. He's startled. You haven't shown up for 400 years, and now on my shift, my once-in-a-lifetime time to come into the temple, this is the time that you decide to show up? And not only that, you tell me that my prayer has been answered? And the angel says, your prayers have been heard. Zechariah's response in verse 18, how can this be? I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. It's a nice way of saying she's old too. We can't have kids. Now, here is is Zechariah, who over the course of his lifetime has probably recited the story of Abraham and Sarah hundreds and hundreds of times. A man of faith who walks into the temple, and now he's caught off guard because an angel has showed up and said a miracle is going to happen. Your wife is going to have a child. Now, this isn't really the response that the angel really expected from Zechariah. And so he says, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. In case you didn't know that the angel standing in the temple was in the presence of God, let me remind you, I am standing in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you at this time, at this place, to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words which will come true at their appointed time. God was silent. And now Zechariah is silent. Zechariah doubts. He questions. But Elizabeth has a very different response. Elizabeth says, the Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Zechariah, not so sure. Elizabeth believes. And so which one do you find yourself being more like? Are you more like Zechariah, who encounters God in some mysterious way, but... You're not really watching for it, you're not really looking for it, and you totally miss it? Or are you like Elizabeth, who says, yes, the Lord has done this for me? It would be easy to think that after 400 years, maybe they had just forgotten. They said they were waiting, they said they were looking, but they really had stopped looking. They had stopped waiting That yes, we're going through this ritual. Yes, we say that we're waiting, but we're not behaving that way. It would be easy to think that after advancing in years and getting to an age where they would no longer be able to bear children, maybe they had forgotten. Maybe they had stopped asking for a miracle. Silence can be deafening. In those moments of silence where we just kind of give up and we stop asking and we stop 
walking in faith? Do you remember back in those dating days where you would have a date and then you would wait for the return phone call? And you'd wait a day for that phone call and then another day and you start to get a little nervous and then yet another day and you start to take it personal and another week or so and you start to get bitter about it and then months happen and then you just stop waiting for that call. Or you text somebody and you're ready for them to respond in that moment and they don't respond and you're waiting and you're waiting and you're waiting for them to respond to that text. How much longer will you wait before you say, yeah, they're, they're not responding? And then what emotion does that cause in you? Silence can bring about a bunch of questions. When they don't respond, is it me? Is it them? Maybe God just doesn't care anymore. You begin to doubt that he will actually fulfill his promises. We find ourselves asking the questions of how much longer until I find that job? How much longer until my kid finds you? How much longer till the doctor comes up with an answer or a diagnosis? How much longer until there is peace in our household? How much longer, how much longer must I wait? For God to fulfill his promises. And so the longing and the anticipation and the desperation all comes in these moments of silence. And the, the song we sang earlier really captures this, that, that we say, Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. Come, please. Come and ransom captive Israel. Rescue us. Come and hear us. Come and save us. Ransom us. At home, we have this string that goes across the dining room wall that has these little paper mittens with numbers on them. One, two, three, four, up to 25. It is our countdown till Christmas. And every day we take one of those off, counting down, getting closer and closer to Christmas. When you have a countdown, you know when Christmas is coming. It's a little bit easier to wait when there's a countdown. But what if that countdown was you had to add a number every day, and you don't know when the end of that number is? And so it's one day, it's 20 days, it's 25 days, 26 days, I thought it was coming, 30 days, a year, a decade, a century, 400 years, and I'm still adding a number day after day, waiting for Christmas? At what point do you stop adding numbers? And say, ah, maybe not. Maybe it's not coming. This is the setting of Luke. A time of Herod, oppressively ruling over the people, waiting in the silence of God for 400 years for him to show up and speak. And he shows up, and everything changes. Verse 57. Luke chapter 1 is, is bouncing back and forth between the story of John and the story of Jesus, and then the story of John and the story of Jesus. 
And so in verse 57, we get back to the story of John. Zechariah has been silent through the entire pregnancy. We can insert some jokes there about the men being silent through pregnancy. (laughs) He doesn't have to say a word through the whole thing. Am I looking fat? Lucky guy. All right, verse 57. <laughs> when it, well, I should have just left it. All right, so when it was time for Elizabeth to give birth, we get to this day, it's time for her to have a baby. Here is this old woman, an old woman who is pregnant, ready to have this baby. She gave birth to a son. Her neighbors, her relatives, everybody is a part of this. They heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy and they shared in her joy. They know what a big deal this is too. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child and they were going to name him after the father Zachariah, which is the tradition. But his mother spoke up and said, no, He's to be called John. They said to her, there's no one in your family named John. Convention would say you would name him after someone in your family, and you're going to name him John? That's not the way to do it. Then they made signs to his father, Zechariah, to find out what he would like the name of the child to be. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, His name is John. And in that moment of faith, immediately his mouth was open, and his tongue was set free, and he began to speak, praising God. Zechariah has been waiting silently. And then this moment comes and his mouth is open and he declares this great praise for God. He's obedient in saying his name will be John and his mouth is open and he has a song ready. He has been preparing this song through the entire pregnancy, this thing building up in him, growing in him as he cannot speak. He can only reflect on what it is that God is doing, what he is up to. And so Zechariah is filled with the Holy Spirit and he sings this bold and spirit-led song, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors, and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord and prepare a way for him to give his people 
the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising of the sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. This is the song that the Spirit has been working on within Zechariah. It's a song that anticipates rescue from the oppression. It's a song that sees a God who shows mercy, who brings light into darkness, who, who guides the people into a place of peace. And more than anything else, Zechariah is, is wanting to be rescued from his enemies. He's wanting to be delivered, to be redeemed, not for his own benefit, not for his own comfort, but so that he can serve God with his whole life without fear. He says, rescue us so that we can serve you. Free us from the oppression so that we can serve you. What an incredible prayer. That at the birth of his son, he says, I want to serve you, God, with my whole life. Enable me to do that. Give me the strength to serve you. And vindicate me in my pursuit of that mission. Rescue me. Rescue me from my enemies. Rescue us from our enemies. Rescue us from poverty. Rescue us from hate. Rescue us from mental illness, from division, from divisiveness. Rescue us from addiction. Rescue us from materialism. Heal us. Restore us. Forgive us. What enemy do you need to be rescued from? What is it that has consumed your life that has imprisoned you, that you need to be rescued from so that you can fully serve him? What is it that has bound you? We pray that God will rescue us, that he will free us. And Zechariah sees that it will be his own son that will lead the way to the rescuer. That it will be his son, John, that will point the way to Jesus. Jesus, who is called the horn of salvation. There is this war metaphor. There is a battle being waged. And the king is showing up to take his kingdom. I said, don't leave until you go through the gym today. Because the gym has been transformed into this world of Narnia. And as Lila and I were brainstorming about things that they were planning for, I said, you have to have Aslan. Because the story does not make any sense. Without the king coming to claim his throne. Because it is winter time and it is dark and we are being oppressed and we are waiting for the king to show up to bring in his kingdom. 
And Aslan comes in to Narnia and claims his throne. And so do not leave here today without going through there and staring into the eyes of Aslan, who comes in and looks at his people with love and declares freedom for his people. That is what John is pointing to. That is what Zechariah is celebrating. And so as we look at Zechariah, we see him teaching us so much about faith. We find ourselves in places of discouragement. We find our places in the dark. We find ourselves in places that are the winter time, the dark times. And we're filled with discouragement and we're filled with doubt and we're filled with disappointment because things are not going the way we would want them to go. And we look at Zechariah and we learn a few lessons. The first lesson is you never coast. When we think about our faith and we think about what we're doing, you do not coast along through your faith. We see here this mature and this pious man. He's living a godly life, but there is still much for him to learn about the truths of who God is. There's still much for him to learn. And so never get into a place in your faith where you have just stopped, where you're just coasting along. If you are not experiencing new things, if you are not learning new things, if you are not discovering more about who God is, it's time to get off cruise control and be discovering who God is. There's more to learn. There's more to grow in. There's more to discover. The second lesson is to trust that God's time wins. Because as, as they're ticking away the days, waiting and waiting and waiting, and 400 years later, or, or for Zechariah and Elizabeth, it's, it's ticking away the days that the further we get into our old age, the less likely it is we are going to have a child. And at some point, those days get to, a, get, get to a number where there is really no hope left. And God is teaching them that in the midst of these times, trust in his plan. God uses strange times and surprising circumstances to teach us new lessons. And so trust in his timing. And the third lesson from Zechariah is that we walk where God leads. We walk where God leads. There is the peer pressure, there's the attitudes of the world, often shifting us in ways different from what God would have us do. And here Zechariah is walking where God leads, going through those moments of silence, reflecting on the coming birth of his son, reflecting on what it is that God is doing, knowing and anticipating that Jesus is coming, that it's not just about the birth of John, which is miracle in and of itself, but there is another one coming. 
that Jesus is coming. And he will walk faithfully in that. So do you find yourself in a place like Zechariah? Do you find yourself in a place where things seem to be silent, things seem to be stuck, things seem to be not moving in the way you would anticipate them to be moving? Are you in that season? Or have you been in that season? Zechariah's song is for us. The last two verses. Because of the tender mercy of God, because of the tender mercy of God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. We trust that God is at work even when we cannot see what's going on. Let's be standing together. We're going to spend some time in prayer together. This is a time that you can come forward and pray with one of the shepherds. You can get together as a family or as a life group or as friends and pray together. It's a time that you are are free to move around the room to, to encourage one another and lift one another up in prayer. There's something about this season that brings so much joy, but is also a season that can bring great discouragement, a, a, a season that can bring great lo- loneliness. We're reminded of the things in our lives that are not functioning the way we would hope that they would function. And so let's lift one another up in prayer for that. Seek out somebody to pray with if you need that extra boost of encouragement. If you haven't responded to the message of Jesus before and you want to to make that confession that Jesus is Lord, that he has come in, he is our Messiah, he is our Savior, and you want to trust him with your life, then we'd love to have that conversation with you this morning as well. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for this song, this message from Zechariah that tells us that you are faithful to your promise and that you are bringing in salvation, that you are bringing in redemption. God, help us to trust in you. Help us to follow you. Help us to find peace with you. That in the midst of whatever there is going on around us, in the midst of the disappointment, in the midst of the silence and the discouragement, we rest in you, we find peace in you, because you are true and faithful to your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.